Welcome to episode three of From Fear to Faith, a podcast series from Design Truth and Anna Absalom. Lord, we pray we can continue to walk in our new understanding. In your precious name, Amen. I ended uh, last session, session two, with um, uh, a request, really, a prayer that. Um, that the Lord would help me to know him better through his word. And I really hope that you've prayed that prayer and that you've been reading the Bible this week and and that you've written down things, that you've questions maybe or um, uh, or points that God has brought to your attention that you would um, uh, like to talk to him about. I, um, I think I said that uh, one of the things that God, uh, or the reason God wants us to uh, know him and to read the word is, is that we will know him. Because knowing God is the antidote to uh, all of the difficulties that we face in this world. Um, the Bible tells us in Romans 8 that this world is being corrupted, that... Um, and that actually the whole creation is groaning, waiting for the day that the sons of God will be revealed. That is waiting for the day that Christ returns and uh, we who believe uh, are with him. And uh, so um, if that's true, if, if, if the way that we get to know God is by reading his word and praying and asking for his spirit who lives within us to give us understanding, then really that's uh, we should expect that when we do read his word, we find in there uh, lots of things that make sense to us. Um, lots of people who have the same difficulty we've had, who, who struggle with the same fears we have. Um, I said last time about Jesus and his, uh, his facing fear in the wilderness and facing the fact that he didn't want to die the death that he died. Um, and yet he prayed, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Um, and so uh, today I just thought maybe we could look at, um, take a little while to look at um, uh, Judges chapter 6. What God has done in his word is he has revealed himself to us by using different names. Um, by and, and those names are aspects of his character. Um, for example, in the uh, uh, first book of the Bible, in Genesis chapter 1, God reveals himself as the creator. And we know from Genesis 1 that he created everything out of nothing. And so we know that God is the creator. And also then as we go through uh, scripture, we start to see uh, the character of God as he reveals it to those people that we meet, to Abraham, to Adam and Eve, to Abraham, to uh, Noah, to um, all the people in scripture. We find that God reveals himself and he reveals a characteristic of himself that will help us when we are afraid. And in Judges chapter 6, uh, we're introduced to someone called Gideon, um, and uh, God uh, reveals himself to Gideon as Jehovah Shalom, the Lord who is peace, um, and he does that in answer to Gideon's fear. Um, Gideon is the only judge in the whole book of Judges whose fear and personal struggles with his faith are recorded. 
Um, and that's why I think that I find his story such a great encouragement. Most of us struggle uh, with the fact that God would use us or make anything of us. When we uh, look at ourselves, we see exactly what Paul speaks of in First Corinthians in the New Testament. We see weak, foolish people. And of course, the enemy of our soul, Satan, is always reinforcing that view by telling us that God could not, would not choose us, let alone use us. Um, and re- keeps reminding us, us of all our faults and failures, which is one of his uh, ways to keep us anxious and afraid and to keep us away from God, actually. Satan will come with all the memories of all the stuff that you have done wrong in an attempt to stop you going to God because he knows that God is a forgiving God and that if we come to him and confess our sin, he is faithful and just and will forgive us and purify us from all unrighteousness. We looked at that in 1 John chapter 1, verse 9 in the first session. God will um, forgive and restore us, and Satan knows it. And so he will do everything he can to keep us from going to God. And one of those things is to keep reminding us, us of our failures, our weakness, how useless we are, and how God actually couldn't possibly have chosen us. And really, that's what we see in Judges chapter 6. Uh, I'm going to probably spend a few sessions on Judges 6, but um, I wanted to, well, maybe this session we'll get through the first um, 14 or so verses. Uh, I'm going to read um, from verse 1. I re- I use the New American Standard Bible, um, uh, so it's slightly hard to uh, it read. It's not your typical English sentences. Uh, I use this translation because it's a word-for-word translation from the original languages. And so when I want to look at what a word actually meant in the uh, language it was written in and at the time it was written, I can actually look up the word and find what it actually meant. Some of the translations we have, uh, New New International Version, for example, or the New Living Bible, some of those, they are phrase-for-phrase translations or even sometimes not even a phrase-for-phrase. Sometimes they are so collective that actually the original meaning gets lost um, but uh, and so and for study and for finding out what did God actually mean when he spoke it in the original language what did he actually mean uh, that's why I use this translation so if you have your Bible and I hope you do uh, please follow on uh, with me Judges chapter 6 then the sons of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and the Lord gave them into the hands of Midian seven years The power of Midian prevailed against Israel. Because of Midian, the sons of Israel made for themselves the dens which were in the mountains and the caves and the strongholds. For it was when Israel had sown that the Midianites would come up with the Amalekites and the sons of the east and go against them. So they would camp against them and destroy the produce of the earth as far as Gaza and leave no sustenance in Israel, as well as no sheep, ox or donkey. For they would come up with their livestock and their tents. They would come in like locusts for number. Both they and their camels were innumerable and they came into the land to devastate it. So Israel was brought very low because of Midian and the sons of Israel cried to the Lord. Now it came about when the sons of Israel cried to the Lord on account of Midian that the Lord sent a prophet to the sons of Israel and he said to them, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, It was I who brought you up from Egypt and brought you out from the house of slavery. I delivered you from the hands of the Egyptians and from the hands of all your oppressors and dispossessed them before you and gave you their land. And I said to you, I am the Lord your God. You shall not fear the gods of the Amorites in whose land you live, but you have not obeyed me. 
Then the angel of the Lord came and sat under the oak that was in Ophrah, which belonged to Joash, the Abizari, as his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the winepress in order to save it from the Midianites. The angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, The Lord is with you, O valiant warrior. Then Gideon said to him, O my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his miracles which our fathers told us about, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. Um, in in the account of uh, Gideon in the book of Judges, uh, what we see is uh, that Gideon has four main questions and they're wrapped up in, in the text that we will read over the next few sessions. And uh, one of the first, uh, well, the first question I think that we see here is him asking, does God really know and care about me? And that's a, a question that uh, unbelievers have. First of all, is there really a God? And if there is, does he really care about us? Because let's look at our world and see, it doesn't look like there's much caring going on. And so here we have Gideon. He he knows that God exists. He's um, he's um, a member of the, the uh, nation of Israel. So he knows that God exists. But his question is, does God know me? And does he care about me? And, and that's something that we have to settle once for all. Those of us who come to believe in the Lord Jesus, we must settle the, the fact that God knows us individually and he cares for us individually, that he does have a plan and purpose for our life, that he is causing all things to work together for good for those who love him. We must come into that understanding in order, as I said in the last session, to put God in his right perspective, to make him big and, and for everything else to... Um, to be put in its right perspective. So here, uh, Gideon is looking at the circumstances around him and he is making his assessment on uh, about God based on the circumstances. And his, his response is, well, God's abandoned us. He's looked at the difficulty, the circumstances, the terror, the seeming injustice of it all, and concluded that God did not care about him. He did not care about his people. But what's the actual truth? Um, and right in the beginning, verse 1, we read, Then the sons of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and God gave them into the hands of the Midians. And why would God do that? Uh, why would God give his people into the hands of even more evil and wicked people? And in verse 6 tells us, So Israel was brought very low because of Midian, and the sons of Israel cried out to the Lord. Why would God allow circumstances um, and situations that bring uh, you low? Why would he allow them to happen? Why doesn't he swoop in and just make everything okay all the time? And the reason for that is obvious here. When God, uh, when our life is good, we tend not to cry out to God. We tend not to call on him. But when we're afraid or when difficult time comes, we, we then cry out to the Lord. Here we're seen, we've seen in this, um, in this chapter right at the beginning that God has allowed this circumstance because the Israelites have been doing what is evil. And... Um, and God will not allow that to continue. Um, why Why won't he allow us to do evil? I mean, after all, we're a saved. We believe in Jesus. So why does it matter if we sin now and then? Why does it matter? If Why do we have to give up the sin that we see? 
Well, that's and, and the answer to that is plainly written in Scripture. Sin absolutely corrupts and destroys and blackens and perverts and pollutes. That's the reason God doesn't like it. God does, it's not that, I mean, sin is sin and, and it's evil and wicked and of course God is good, so he doesn't like sin. But the basic reason that he is against sin and wants it out of your life completely is because he loves you and that sin will ultimately destroy you. I have a um, uh, a classic example in my own life Um I became a Christian, as I said, um, in 1993, and um, and probably for about 10 years, God uh, began to talk to me about drinking. I uh, had lived an expat lifestyle since 1977. That is, I'd lived overseas, and um, and part of that uh, living overseas was that materially I had more than enough, and uh, socially. Uh, what happened is there was a lot of social activity, a lot of partying um, and a lot of drinking. And although I wasn't um, falling down drunk, uh, I drank too much too often and I was aware of it. I was a Christian and I was aware of it and I knew that God wanted me to stop. At the time, I was writing prayer journals, and uh, if you went back over my prayer journals, you would see that for probably about 10 years, as I say, over and over again, almost every day, there would be this, uh, Lord, I'm so sorry, I know I should be stopping, and I don't know why I'm doing it, um, but nonetheless, I would carry on. Um, I think, uh, you know, sin is very deceptive. We... um, I could tell myself that I wasn't falling over drunk, that I wasn't uh, doing anything terrible. Um, I would uh, give up for a few days or a few weeks and then I would go back again and I would tell myself it's okay, God didn't mind, wine's not, there's nothing wrong with drinking wine, which there isn't actually. Um, And and so um, I just went on. And um, God wouldn't let me continue and the reason he wouldn't let me continue was because that drinking was keeping me from growing in my knowledge of him. And I know that it was because even though I was um, uh, reading the Bible, studying, uh, actually had even started teaching by this time, I couldn't get to know him anymore because the sin of drinking was right there always in the forefront of my mind. And one day... Um, uh, God came to me. Uh, it was a particularly bad time, and I had—I can remember it. It was in April two thousand and nine, um, and uh, God said to me, "Anne, if you don't stop, we we can't go on. We can't go any further." And I knew He wasn't saying that He didn't love me and that I would lose my salvation. I knew that I wouldn't lose my salvation. I knew that He still loved me, but I also knew that what He was saying was, "We, I couldn't know Him any better. I couldn't go on any further with Him." And that thought that I couldn't know Him more, I couldn't bear it, and so I stopped drinking. 
And what God did with that, what he had done over that 10 years, even whilst I was sinning, was he had made himself bigger and bigger in my mind through the word. I was studying, I was uh, even teaching, and he was slowly making himself bigger in my mind so that when I was faced with the choice of knowing him better or staying where I was, I could not um, stay where I was. I didn't have any peace or joy in those years, at least not lasting peace, not lasting joy, because I was constantly um, failing, constantly giving in, constantly not doing what he, I knew he wanted me to do, constantly sinning, actually. And God would not allow me to have peace because he wanted me to go on with him. He wanted to get rid of this thing in my life because it was destroying my relationship with him and it was ultimately destroying me. That's what's happening in uh, Judges chapter 6. Right at the beginning, we read that the sons of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And God knows that doing what is evil ultimately corrupts us. God's people are to walk worthy of their high and heavenly calling. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 1 tells us that. And we are to live like people who are seated with Christ in glory. Colossians chapter 3. We are to live out on this planet who we truly are. We are citizens of heaven. We belong to the great God and creator of the universe. We have an inheritance in heaven that is laid up for us, reserved for us. And it is glorious. And we know that the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the King of Kings, who is the Lord of Lords, who is coming back to rule and reign on this planet, we belong to him. We are in him and he is in us. And we have a responsibility to show the reality of that to the world. And God will always want to get rid of anything that mars that or gets in the way of that. Um... Here in Judges chapter 6, you can see it clearly. They're sinning, they're turning away from him, and so he allows these uh, enemy, these tribes to come against them and make their life very, very difficult. And and we saw in verse 6, Israel is brought very low because of Midian, and the sons of Israel cry out to the Lord. And then it says in verse 7, and it came about when they cried out to the Lord, that he sent a prophet to them, and he told them, Um, I am the Lord your God. You shall not fear, reverence, uh, worship the gods of the Amorites in whose land you live, but you have not obeyed me. That word obeyed in the original language means listen to me. You have not listened to me. God's saying, you cried out to me over these seven years. You have cried out to me and I sent you a prophet to tell you what to do, but you would not listen. And now what does he do? You know, what's so amazing to me here is that um, what God is saying is, you cried out to me, you're living in sin, you're doing what is evil in my sight. Yeah, you cried out to me and I sent someone to you with, with what to do, told you what to do, but you wouldn't listen. And I could have wiped my hands of you. I could have just decided, you know what, I'm done with these people. They never get it right. 
Think about it. God could easily, for you and for me, we don't get things right all the time. And he could easily just wash his hands of us and say, do you know what? I'm done with them. I'm going to go and choose somebody else. But he doesn't. He doesn't. He could have done that from the very beginning. He could have made a human race and he could have said, you know what? They just never get it right. I'm just tired of them. I'm going to start all over again. But he doesn't. And what he does in Jesus, he comes down to them, takes on human form, lives a human life, enables us to get out of the situation that we're in. And he gives us a picture of a a little bit, a tiny glimpse of it here. Because then the angel of the Lord came and sat under the oak that was in Ophrah. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in verse 12 and says, The Lord is with you, O valiant warrior. Um, and um, and and uh, Gideon says, "Well, how can he be with us? Because look at all all we're um, experiencing." But God came down to help. He came in the form of an angel. And then in verse fourteen, the Lord looked at him and said, "Go in this your strength and deliver Israel from the hand of Midian. Have I not sent you?" Here we see that this angel of the Lord is the Lord Himself. And we see that God has never treats us as our sins deserve. He never repays us according to our sins. We are already his children because Jesus Christ has paid the penalty. God in his mercy doesn't give us what we deserve. And in his grace, he gives us what we do not deserve. He disciplines us. He makes things difficult for us. He takes away our peace and our joy. He will not bless us when we are continuing in known sin. Make no mistake, God will not make it easy for you to sin. Why? Because sin ultimately corrupts and destroys and he loves you and he does not want you destroyed. He will make things difficult for you. He will cause you to cry out to him so that you will turn to him. What we see here is Gideon's fear, his lack of faith, and his uh, God is telling him that he's going to make him a conqueror. Um, uh, well, actually, we haven't read that yet, so let me read that to you. I'm going on a little bit ahead of myself. Let's read um, from verse 13. Then Gideon said to him, Oh, my Lord. Oh, sorry, verse 12. The angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, O valiant warrior. Then Gideon said to him, Oh, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his miracles which our fathers told us about, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. The Lord looked at him and said, Go in this your strength and deliver Israel from the hand of Midian. Have I not sent you? He said to him, O oh Lord, how shall I deliver Israel? Behold, my family is the least in Manasseh, and I am the youngest in my father's house. But the Lord said to him, Surely I will be with you, and you shall defeat Midian as one man. God comes to Gideon and uh Gideon responds by doubting, actually. God calls him, or the angel of the Lord calls him, your valiant warrior. And Gideon says, no, you can't be talking to me, not me. I am the least in uh, a tribe that is the least in Israel. Um, And it's so interesting uh, how God deals with that. Because God is choosing Gideon not because of who Gideon is, not because of where he's come from, but because of what he will do through him. And he's asking Gideon to trust him. 
He's asking, go in this your strength, he says. Go in this your strength. What is this? That's the question, isn't it? Um, What is the this in that sentence? Go in this your strength and deliver Israel from the hand of Midian. Have I not sent you? What is this? God is this. I am your strength. I will be with you. And what has God told us as believers in the Lord Jesus? You have my spirit living within you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. I will enable you to do all that I call you to do. God cannot lie and he never fails. Faith means obeying God in spite of what we see, in spite of how we feel and and what the consequences might be. Faith is taking God at his word. Gideon here, he's afraid He's hiding out in a wine press to keep the um, crops from the enemy. God comes to him and says, I will be with you, O valiant warrior. And, and Gideon is still afraid. When you look at God's promises to Gideon, you wonder why he wavers in his faith. But then you put yourself in his place and you know why. It is so easy for us to look at ourselves and so difficult for us to look at the God who promises What was wrong with Gideon and what is often wrong with us? Why could he not uh, take uh, what God was saying? And the reason is that he did not receive it to himself. He heard the words, but he didn't receive them for himself. And therefore he didn't trust it. There's a sense in scripture, and Paul will talk about it in uh, Philippians chapter 3. Yeah, he's giving his personal testimony. He talks about laying aside all the things and counting them but rubbish compared to knowing Jesus. And then right down, I think in about uh, verse 13, he, what he says is, not that I've already attained it. I haven't already got where I want to be, but I press on to lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has already laid hold of me. And it's there there really that we have the Christian life. We are pressing on to lay hold of something that God has already laid hold of us for. You are already glorious in the Lord Jesus. You are already on the path to glory. God will do amazing things in and through you. He will enable you to stand against temptation, to fight the fight of faith. He will enable you to live for his glory. But there's a sense that you must lay hold of that for which he has already laid hold of you. You have to receive these words for yourself. You have to choose to believe and to trust that God is speaking them to you. When God said to Gideon, the Lord is with you, O valiant warrior, Gideon did not look at the Lord, he looked at himself. When God says to you, I will be with you, you need to look at, the, at God, the one who is saying that, and not at yourself. Do not trust your feelings. Do not trust what people say about you. Do not trust the things that you thought you knew about yourself. Start to find out about your God and put your trust in him. That's the reality. Fear causes us to look at ourselves, to look at the circumstances and to take our eyes off God. And God is saying, look at me. 
God is telling Gideon he would be victorious. And Gideon is spending his time looking at himself. I'm going to read on just a little bit here. Um, um, because what will happen is uh, Gideon will say, if you're really the Lord and if you're really calling me to do this, will you let me go and prepare an offering for you um, and lay it before you? And God says to him, I will remain until you return. And then so from uh, verse 19 uh, down to 21, that's what um, Gideon does. And then in verse 22, when Gideon saw that he was the angel of the Lord, he said, alas, O Lord God, for I have now seen the angel of the Lord face to face. The Lord said to him, Peace to you, do not fear, you shall not die. Then Gideon built an altar there to the Lord and named it, The Lord is Peace. And to this day, it is still in Ophrah of the Abyssalites. Gideon's dealings with God um, were not great. He was afraid. He looked at himself and saw nothing. He saw someone who was the least in his family and the least in the least family in Israel. He didn't feel like a valiant warrior. He felt like someone hiding out in a wine press. But God gave a message to Gideon to prepare him for battle. And the message he gave to him was, I am Jehovah Shalom. I am the Lord is peace. If we are not at peace with God, if we are not coming to him with all our doubt and all our fear and all our questions and then choosing to believe what he says, then we cannot face any enemy with confidence. What we see here is that because of the signs that God has given him, because of God's patience with him and uh, his reiteration of the truth to Gideon, Gideon believes and shows that by building an altar and calling it the Lord is peace. We have uh, the Lord who is peace with us within our hearts and we don't need to build an altar. But sometimes it's good to put up a memorial, to say to uh, ourselves, to write down actually, that today, on this day, I'm uh, recording this on the... um, on the 10th of April 2017, on this day, I read these words in, in the book of Judges. I read about Gideon and I recognised myself there and I decided to put my, my trust in the Lord who is peace. And I'm building a memorial to him today so that you can look back at it later on when you are um, afraid and remember that this was the day God spoke to you through the life of Gideon. Nothing is impossible for God. God can do everything and anything. And Jesus told his disciples, with God all things are possible. When God calls you, he enables you. And in faith, you decide to look at him and not at yourself. Today is the day. Build the altar or build the memorial. Make things right with God now. I don't know if you have a particular sin in your life that God has been talking to you about. Maybe he's been talking for a long time. I shared mine because um, he shared with me, he talked to me about that for 10 years. I'm sharing that with you so that you know that, that we all, all of us, face the same temptations. We all are tempted to satisfy our own flesh, to live the way the world lives. We're all tempted not to believe. 
And God will not leave us where we are. He wants to move us on. He won't let sin occupy a place in your life because he knows that ultimately that will destroy you and it will block you from him. It will stop you from getting closer to him. And getting closer to God is the absolute best thing for you. So uh, we've start, We've looked a little bit at Gideon. Um, we've seen that he's afraid. It should encourage you that God has included his story in the book of Judges because uh, Gideon has three chapters written about him. Um, written about this person who saw himself as the least in his family. I don't know how you see yourself, but I can tell you, if you have put your trust in the Lord Jesus, if you know him to be your saviour, if he is the one who has redeemed you, forgiven you and brought you back to God, then you can know, absolutely know, that you are gloriously saved in the Lord Jesus, that you have this wonderful inheritance and that God will do great and mighty things in and through your life. Build your memorial today. Choose this day to lay aside the sin that so easily entangles. Decide this day to put your trust in the Lord Jesus. Father, you know all those who are listening. You know all our individual issues and circumstances. You know what we're afraid of. You know uh, the situations that we're facing. And you know how easy it is for us not to trust, not to believe. So I pray, Father, for all of those listening. I pray for myself that, uh, if necessary, we would build our memorials. We would build our memorials. We would put a marker down in the sand this day. I chose to give my life to the Lord Jesus. I chose to put my trust in him. I chose to see him as the Lord who is peace. I pray, Father, for everyone listening, that you would enable us to know, really know, that you are God and that when we are afraid, we must put our trust in you. In Jesus' name and for his glory. Thanks for listening. Be sure to check out our website at desiringtruth.org.uk for more information on events and series like this. God bless.